Good morning. How appropriate to be singing Jesus Paid It All as we uh, continue to march through the book of Luke. Uh, my name is Ryan. I direct our student ministries here, and from time to time I get the opportunity to share with you all here in the chapel. So today is one of those days. So lucky you, or lucky me, or lucky somebody, right? Um, but it is good to be with you. And um, how many of you guys have ever been asked to throw an important dinner party? Anybody? Maybe a wedding reception, wedding rehearsal, big event. Um, well, today we're going to look at seven verses out of the book of Luke where Jesus asks his two best friends to throw probably the most important dinner party of all time, right? Um, probably a lot of pressure. If you've ever done that, you know there's a thousand details, right? Like what could go wrong? Um, well, let me tell you, take you back a little bit. So about 10 years ago, uh, my family moved to South Carolina and we were sent there to start a ministry called Young Life in the town of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, and if anybody ever needed Jesus, it would be Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, so we go there and things are going well. We're 10 months in and uh, up comes the night of our very first fundraising banquet. And it comes at an opportune time where the operating accounts beginning to run a little dry. And I was tasked with running this big dinner banquet, okay? Um, I, I found the best venue. So there's a place called Rio's Brazilian Steakhouse, which is kind of like Buena Braza. Um, I recruited dozens of table hosts who filled the room with over 300 people. Um, we decorated the place like to the nines. I mean, people, we had like balloon arches before balloon arches were just like a thing at um, fundraisers. Like we were cutting edge balloon people. Um <laughs> But there was, and I also found the best speaker. So there's this guy named Rob Crocker who's super dynamic. I get Rob, I land him, and he's sharing over the course of the banquet. And I can watch people kind of leaning in, you know, and I'm like, oh, this is good, right? Like they're going to write checks. They're going to fund our ministry. This is going to be amazing. But we get to the part of the night where it's pledging time, right? And maybe you've been to those fundraising banquets and it's like, okay, everybody's pulling out their checkbooks and um, all of that. And I make a horrifying realization in the moment. Um, that as I look out at those 30 tables, um, there is not one single pen on a table. And it is 2012, people, so there were not like those little cube things you swiped or apps or QR codes. Um, everything had to be written down. So we kind of scratched together 20, 25 pens. Um, but I know for sure that people walked out the door that night thinking, oh, I'll just send it in later, right? And then you never send it in later. Um, so we lost out on thousands of dollars Um so the first pro tip today, if you've ever heard that phrase pro tip um, on social media or something, that's what we're going to look at, our, our pro tips to the party. Um, the first pro tip is if you're asking people to write checks, have a pen, right? Pretty, pretty important pro tip. But we're going to jump in in uh, Luke 22, and today we're looking at verses 7 through 13. And uh, last week, Chad introduced this method of Bible study called the pacer method, Right? And I don't know if he just made that up or found it somewhere or learned it in Bible college. Uh, but it's a way to study scripture on your own. So we're going to look at that real quick um, as we read the verses together. So the pacer method, again, is P is uh, promises to claim. So what in here is a promise I could claim? A is actions to follow. C are commands to obey. E would be examples to imitate or not imitate. And R would be rebellion to repent of. So let's read together. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. 
So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room and there make ready. So they went and they found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. So, so real quickly as we start here, if I look at these verses through this pacer method of Bible study, um, I, I see two promises that I can claim. And I see really two examples I could follow. Um, so the first promise that I could claim is in verse 7, that it talks about the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. And, and as Chad shared last week, like these were two feasts and two holidays that that looked back towards Egypt, right? Where the, the Jewish folks were um, freed from the oppressive Egyptians. And the Passover in particular is a promise I can claim that God is going to pass over my sin because of a sacrifice, right? In the same way that the, the Jewish kingdom had to wipe the blood on their doorposts so that God would pass over them during um, that final plague of Egypt. That is the promise I can claim. So an example I could follow is Peter and John. So if you look at these seven verses, Peter and John, um, Jesus asked them to go. It says he sent them. Um, In verse 13, it says they went and then they prepared. Right? Like just simple faithfulness is a great example for us to follow. That God's going to send us to do stuff, ask us to do stuff. We can go and do it. And then we can actually accomplish what he asked us to do. That's a great example to follow. And then the last promise that I see in here that I think is the big one, um, in verse 13, it says, So they went and found it, just as he had said to them, that the promises of God we're going to find just as he said them. Like, we can always take them to the bank. And we're going to explore that more today, okay? But as we unpack this, I don't know if you know this, but when you look at the Gospels, Jesus is actually quite the social butterfly, right? Like, he would have been like a socialite of the day. When you look at the Gospel of Luke, there are 10 accounts where Jesus eats with people. And all types of people, all types of places. If you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, apart from Luke, there's even more examples that he was always eating with people. A lot of times it would be in people's homes. It would be on the beach with his disciples. It would be in a big field with 5,000 plus people. Um, It would be at weddings. He was always eating with people, which was kind of funny. So much so that he gets two nicknames, right, from the religious people. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Jesus is called a a glutton and a wine-bibber. And I don't even know what the word wine-bibber means, right? But I, I would just appreciate you don't call me that, because that, that is not a, a positive-sounding phrase. Right, like imagine if that were our nicknames for Chad, Pastor Chad. We're like... Pastor Chad, where's he at? Oh, he's at BW3s. He's pounding wings and brews. He's a glutton and a wine bibber, right? He probably wouldn't like that. (laughs) He'd prefer other nicknames. Um, But what's interesting is somehow those are the nicknames that our Lord has given when he comes to earth. And I have to ask myself, well, why? Like, was he just a foodie? Was he just really into eating? I kind of doubt it, right? Um, I think it points to purpose, And there are three times in Scripture where these words are used. The Son of Man came to. And the first two will be familiar with you. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Right? We know that. That's a statement of purpose. Here's what I've come to do. The second is the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And the third one here in this verse is the Son of Man came eating and drinking. I think that's a statement of how. That's the first two are statements of vision of what. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve. I'm going to save. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it relationally, right? I'm going to do it through people and relationships. And to the religious people, what looked like excess and gluttony was actually just an overflowing of love and grace onto people in ways that the, the religious people who tithe their herbs and spices, like they just didn't get. It didn't make sense to them. But that's what it was. That, in fact, Jesus is the life of the party, really. So it makes sense that he's throwing the greatest dinner party of all time. One of my favorite verses is John fourteen six because I feel like it encapsulates the whole gospel. Uh, but in John fourteen six, Jesus gives himself three nicknames, okay? So the first nicknames he gives himself is, I am the way, right? Like if you went to Ohio State, you're always like, I went to the Ohio State University. You know, you got to make sure you put the the in there. Um, well, Jesus is saying, hey, I am the way. Like I am the only flight to the Father. I'm the only path. I'm the only gate. It's, it's me. Pretty exclusive. Um, and then he says, hey, I am the truth, right? In a world of gray where there's confusion and maybe you're not always sure what's black and white, um, I am the truth. I am true north. Like if you're confused, look at me like I'm the truth. But then the third thing he gives us is he says, I am the life. And when I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the account of Jesus's life here on earth, he is the life of every situation he's in. Like he is like this light bulb that just lights up the reading. Um, he was the life of his family. He was the life of his relationship with the disciples. I think he would have been the life of a trip to Home Depot, right? Like he was just the life of the party. And as we explore these verses a little further today, I want to challenge you to think about something that, that Jesus asked Peter and John to go set up this dinner party, which we all know as the Last Supper, right? Um, very important party. Um, well, Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and set up the party at his own, on his own, right? Like Jesus had fed 5,000 people from a couple of loaves and fishes. Like he certainly could have just set up a dinner party. He raised people from the dead. He was about to raise himself from the dead. So there, there's something to this, this fact that he asks his friends to join him in throwing the party that I think is worth us exploring. And that's what we're going to do today is we're going to look at four pro tips for joining Jesus, the life of the party. And the first pro tip is this, that we have to wait on his timing. In verse 7, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. So as Chad explored last week, this, this week of the cross is full of religious festivals, religious feasts, celebrations, holidays, and they all had very important symbolic um, importance as the uh, Jewish people look backwards. But the crown jewel of this week is the Passover, right? Like the Passover turned Jerusalem into like New Orleans at Mardi Gras. Like it really did. Like it was exciting. Um, and if you lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem and you were an adult, legally you had to go there. Okay, it was enforced. Um, but they probably didn't have to enforce it all the time because people really wanted to be there. In fact, there's a uh, 
a Jewish saying that they would say as the festival and the feast began to come to an end, and I'm going to botch it, but I'm going to give it my best shot. It is El Shana Habab Yerushalam. And what that stands for is next year in Jerusalem. That is, these feasts would start to come to an end. They would start to encourage each other with, well, next year in Jerusalem, we're going to come together again, right? Like my family went to Hilton Head a few weeks ago, and as the week began to come to a close, you know, we would talk to each other and be like, well, next year in Hilton Head, we're going we're gonna to be here again, and we're going to go to this place, and we're going to try dinner there, you know, and, and maybe you do that too. Jerusalem's a bustling place. The historian Josephus um, who was not a Christ follower, but thankfully kept very accurate records um, for us. And there he is. He's got a nice, sharp Roman nose like myself, um, so I like that. Um, he estimated that Jerusalem had a standing population of about 400,000 people during the time of Jesus. And one year during the Passover, um, he took an estimation, I'm sure, but he estimated that 256,000 Passover lambs were sacrificed that week. Like, just think of that many lambs being sacrificed on one day. Um, well, what that means is each lamb fed a family. Probably a family back then, a six to eight um, extended family. Um, so that means that a couple of million people were converging on Jerusalem. Like, it was just a crazy hotbed of religious stuff, but also just craziness, right? Like, think of, like, Florida spring break cities, you know, like Panama City Beach, right? Like, I don't, maybe you got, some of you guys have some spring breaks you want to forget about from high school. I don't know. Um, but if they had t-shirts, instead of Panama City spring break, it would have been like, Jerusalem, Feast of Unleavened Bread, 33, right? Um, or what happens at Passover stays at Passover, right? Because it, it was crazy during that week. And, and the Romans knew this, okay? And that is the reason that Herod and Pilate are both in town, which is a little bit bizarre. Um, well, they're there because they're worried about the Passover. I mean, have you ever considered that the Passover is a holiday for the Jews to celebrate overthrowing a tyrannical government? <laughs> right? The Romans are like, <laughs> you know, just kind of crossing their fingers and hoping to get through the week without a revolt. Right? So everybody is on edge, but at the same time, everybody is excited. And into the midst of that craziness, into the midst of Roman rulers who are on high alert, in the midst of uh, Jewish religious leaders who are just boiling over with jealousy, and in the midst of two million plus people converging on the city, steps Jesus, right? And he steps into the midst of that chaos, like he so often does into the midst of the chaos of our lives. And for years, as you watch the account of Jesus he keeps saying this phrase of like, hey, my time hasn't come yet, right? Like his mom asks him to do something at a wedding, change some water to wine kind of deal. And he's like, hey, my time isn't here yet. Other people try to push him one way and he's like, hey, my time hasn't arrived. Another time the Jews want to seize him and just kill him right now. Like, let's just get this over with. Um, and it says he slips through the crowd because it, it just wasn't his time. And sometimes when I read that, I get a little frustrated where I'm like, Jesus, let's kick it into gear. Let's start kicking some butt and righting some wrongs and punishing the bad people. Um, and you think he's going to do that when he flips over some, te- some tables at the temple and he you know, starts whipping people. And you're like, he's finally doing it. And then he just goes back to like loving and serving and forgiving. And, and the vengeful part of you is like, no. Um, but this is the day where he, he kicks in. In a parallel account of this very day, this very moment in Matthew, Jesus says this. He's given instructions to Peter and John. He says, go into the city to a certain man 
and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So he goes from saying, hey, my time hasn't come yet, to, hey, my time is at hand. And this word time here in Matthew is a word called kairos in Greek. And in Greek, there's two words for time. There's kairos and there's chronos. And chronos is just a standard way to say time. Like the chronos is 926. But kairos is an epic way to say time. And it's really defined like this. It's the right time, the critical time, the opportune moment, or the moment for which I was born. So Jesus is literally saying, hey, this is the moment for which I was born, guys. Like, it's about to start. Like, this is, it's go time, if you will. And when you look at the timing of that final week, and Chad shared this with us last week, and if you heard it, it should have given you goosebumps. Um, if you were sleeping, then your spouse needs to, like, nudge you. Because um, it was amazing that when Jesus enters Jerusalem on Sunday, it is Lamb Selection Day. So those 256,000 lambs are all being picked. And they're picking the perfect ones from their flocks. Right? And they're going to bring that lamb to live with them. Well, that's when Jesus strolls in. Like, hey, here, I'm the final lamb. (whistles) Over here. Right? Um, And then four days later on the Passover, when those 256,000 lambs are being sacrificed, from like 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., Jesus is hanging on a cross being sacrificed. Right? And and, hey, you're not going to need to do all these lambs anymore because I'm it. I'm the final lamb. And then three days and, and three nights later, when Jesus rises on Sunday, it is the day of first fruits, a celebration of, of the first thing being given back to God. And Jesus is the firstborn and the first resurrected, right? Like he's this offering of the first of us um, to the new life, if you will. When I think of that timing, it, it certainly emboldens my faith that God can call his shot from 1,500 years beforehand. Um, But I'm also just beholden to the beauty of it. That the final week of the cross is what I call poetically perfect. That it's perfect mathematically. Like we we did a lot of research and, you know, looked at all kinds of dates and stuff to arrive at this final week. Um, And it lines up perfectly. Um, But it's also just beautiful and elegant, right? It's kind of like looking at a snowflake. Where a snowflake has geometry and symmetry that some of us math people could measure and chart. Um... But it's kind of just nice to look at them too, right? Like they're just pretty. And that is the timing of this final week. And the application from that for me is that God's timing is perfect, right? Hey, my timing's perfect. I can call my shot from 1,500 years beforehand through Scripture. But for me, the problem is, is it doesn't always feel that way, right? That when I'm driving the car in my life, if you will, and heading down the road in my life, when I look out the windshield... The timing doesn't always look too perfect, right? I'm like, hey, God, what's ahead doesn't look perfect. Or when I look to my left on my driver's side or my right, my passenger side, I'm like, hey, this part of town I'm in right now of my life doesn't look perfect. But a lot of times, and not every time, because I don't have perfect vision, but a lot of times when I look in the rearview mirror of my life or I cast a glance back over my shoulder, I'm like, hey, God, you were kind of right. Like that did time up pretty well. What what do you know? Like, yeah, God, right? (laughs) Pretty cool. Um, Well, the challenge is, is how do we live that way with our lives, right? Because timing is an interesting thing. Like, let's say you you work your whole life and you get to that point in your career, your company, where you're expecting it to be here. You know, you're expecting either the big deal or I can finally retire. 
or you're expecting the big promotion or that next office and it goes to somebody else or your business takes a turn for the worse and you're like, hey God, that was my time, right? Like that was the time where you were supposed to show up and now you're late, right? Or on the other foot, somebody that you know and love gets sick or, or even unfortunately passes away and you're like, hey God, you're way too early, right? Like this wasn't supposed to happen for years, Right? Like the whole thing we sing, better is one day um, in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Like, that's awesome to sing, but I don't want to die. <laughs> right? Um, and, and we do this tug of war with the hands on the clock of our life where we say, God, you're earlier. God, you're late. And we pull and we tug and we try to make it work. When instead we could just trust, trust the Lord of the party, the life of the party who has perfect timing. Right? In the midst of a million variables, For that final week of the cross, he gets them all right perfectly. I can trust that. Pro tip number two for joining Jesus, the life of the party, is to be a yes man or a yes woman. Luke 22, 8 and 9 says, And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? So I have to think, well, why Peter and John? Were they like just the first two disciples Jesus saw, you know, when he woke up from a nap and he's like, hey, you two, go nap. Probably not. He was more intentional than that. Were, were Peter and John like fine dining experts? Where Peter was like, well, Jesus, you need to put like the butter knife over here and the glass here. And now nah, they're fishermen, right? <laughs> um, I think they had just proven themselves to be faithful yes men. And I know we have negative connotations with that phrase, a yes man or a yes woman. Um, but there's beautiful connotations to it with Christ, right? That he could trust them. This was an important dinner they were about to have that a whole bunch of our theology is based on, right? Like when we take communion here, uh, we're modeling that. Um, a whole bunch of cool stuff's about to go down. He had to send people he could trust. But secondly, and the second reason that I think God sent Peter and John... I'm sorry. Uh, the second thing I think of when I think of him sending Peter and John is that this is a last minute request. That if you're like me, you don't like being asked to do things at the last minute. <laughs> I know our admins here do not like that whatsoever um, when I send them requests. Um, how easy would it have been for them, instead of being yes men, to be yeah but men, right? Like, yeah, but Jesus, it's kind of last minute and there's two million people in town. Where are we going to find this room? You know, or, or yeah, but Jesus, like, I'm in my nice Passover clothes, and if I go kill a lamb, I'm going to get a little messy, you know? Um, and how tempting it is to become yeah, but men and women instead of yes men and yes women. There's a great quote that I came across, a great account from George S. Patton, um, and I'm going to read it to us here. It's a great antidote. It says, when I have a promotion to make, I line up all of the candidates and give them a problem I want them to solve. I say, men, I want a trench dug behind a warehouse, make a trench eight feet long, three feet wide, and six inches deep. That's all I tell them. I use some warehouse that has windows or a large knot hole. While the candidates are checking out the tools they want to use, I get inside the building and watch through the window or knot hole. The men will drop all of the spades and picks on the ground behind the warehouse as I watch. 
Next slide. After resting for several minutes, they will start talking about why I want such a shallow trench. They will argue that six inches is not deep enough for a gun placement. Others will argue that the trench should be dug with power equipment. Others will say it is too hot or too cold to dig. If the men are officers, there will be complaints that they should not be doing such lowly labor. Finally, one man will give an order to the others. Let's get this trench dug and get out of here. Doesn't make any difference what that old SOB wants to do with the trench. That man gets the promotion. Sometimes I think God just wants us to dig the ditch, right? Because he knows it's good for us. And we can say, well, it's not deep enough or it should be here. And he just wants us to be a yes man or a yes woman. So the question for us application-wise is like, where in our lives are, are we kind of being yeah, but men or yeah, but women? Where God has clearly put on our heart for us to do something and we're just kind of not sure. Like, maybe God has put on your heart to restore a relationship with a family member, a friend. Um, and you're like, yeah, but they're still kind of jerks. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if I should do that. Or, or maybe God has put on your, your heart to serve in some way. Maybe through a ministry or maybe in your neighborhood or maybe at work or, or maybe a young mom. Like, there's lots of ways that God puts on our hearts to serve. And it's so easy to be, uh, yeah, but that would be weird to say that to them or to offer that. Or, yeah, but I'm really busy. Um, well, well, God is looking for yes men and yes women. That is pro tip number two. And, and when I think of how Peter and John do that, because um, I'm not always great at saying yes to God. I can't always just will myself into it. Um, what, what I think helps them is that they knew Jesus. Right? Like Peter and John were as close to Christ as anyone. And what I found in my life is like the closer I get to Christ through talking to him, reading his word, prayer, worship, just growing, um, the more likely I am to be a yes man or a yes woman. And the less of that stuff I do, the more likely I am to be a yeah but man or a yeah but... Well, I'm not a woman. (laughs) A yeah but man. So proximity will increase your faithfulness. If you want to grow in that, just grow and seek to grow closer to Jesus. Pro tip number three for joining Jesus, the life of the party, is to embrace the adventure, right? Like this is a crazy plan, isn't it, when you hear it? Um, and I can imagine, it sounds kind of like a Mission Impossible thing, you know, where like you hear the music, it's like do, 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 do. And Jesus is like, hey, Peter and John, come here. You know, and he pulls him in. It's kind of like that football huddle, um, you know, and he's like, hey, when you've entered the city, you know, he's given his instructions, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. And I know men in our culture don't carry water, so just look for that. It's going to stand out. Um, then you shall, oh, I'm sorry, then you'll follow him to whatever house he enters. Okay, so kind of ninja sneak behind that guy with the pitcher, okay? Um, you know, and then you say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat my Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. There, make ready. Go, go, go. You know, like that's kind of the picture I get of Jesus giving these instructions, right? Um, but I'm like, well, Jesus, why not, like, just give the address, right? Like, hey, guys, go to, like, 7 Oak Street and plan this dinner. Or, or why not just even some turn-by-turn directions? Like, hey, six blocks down, take a left at the one-eyed dog, and it'll be this big house on the right. It's going to say Passover in big yellow letters, right? Like, that'd been easier. 
Well, two reasons, I think. One is Judas is listening. So Judas is in the room. And as Chad talked about last week, Judas was already looking for ways to betray Jesus, looking for the place and the time to come and get him. So if that happens too early in the poetically perfect timeline of that night, Jesus isn't going to be sacrificed when the lambs are being sacrificed. So, so Jesus couldn't let Judas know where he was going. But the second point, and I think the point that points more to us, is that I think he really wanted them to start walking in the right direction with only his words and a promise to guide them. He just wanted them to walk in the right direction and say, trust me, guys, right? Again, he could have snapped his fingers and just made it happen, but he chose to use them. And following Christ can feel like that, where it feels like you're you're looking for the man with the pitcher, right? And you're like, I don't know where he's going to pop up. I don't know what I should do. God, I'm, I'm just kind of heading this way. Um, and, and sometimes it can be easy to look at God's plan and be like, hey, God, so I got a question. Um, you know this plan of yours, like it's like a solid B. Like this is like a B, God. Like you've you've worked hard on this. I like this. But with like a few minor changes, adjustments, like I can take that to like an A minus. Um, you know, I would do that for you. Um, right? Like we think of life that way. And, and there's a great quote by a guy named J. Vernon McGee. And it says this. It says, this is God's universe and he does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. <laughs> right? Like, I think J. Vernon, Vernon McGee is speaking for God there, where he's like, hey, I own the keys to the universe, you don't. Right? Like, just trust me. Because it would be nice if God gave us, like, this really detailed um, checklist for what's ahead of us in our lives. Right? Like, he gives us scripture, which is a great guidebook where he speaks to us. Um, but scripture doesn't always tell me what's around the corner with my career or with my children or my marriage. And I wish God would just give me that, because I, I like knowing what's ahead. I don't love surprises. Um, I mean, it'd be great if God gave us that. I mean, it almost like what we as parents have left for babysitters sometimes, you know, where it's like this six-page schematic about bedtime. You know, you're like, do this and do this and that. And then, you know, here's the medical history of my children and their blood types, you know. And um, here's the pediatrician's number. And here's our old pediatrician's number. Um, and here's the neighbor's Wi-Fi password, just just in case, you know. Um, like, I would love that, but God doesn't do that. And if he did, it would require a lot less faith from me, wouldn't it? Like, if I knew what was ahead, I wouldn't have to trust God so much. And I certainly would pray less because I wouldn't be talking to him about things that I'm unsure of or thanking him for things that he did that surprised me. And that intimacy that grows with him over time through the ups and downs of the adventure of my life, that intimacy would just dissipate. And it would just kind of grow into a work work relationship, right? And we don't want that. And God doesn't want that for us either. My final pro tip for joining Jesus to the life of the party, and I think the best, is that we can rest in his promises. That in verse 13, it says that they, they went and they found it just as he had said to them. I don't think there was a doubt in their minds that they were going to find the man with the pitcher. Like, I don't think they were even questioning it. Because they knew Jesus, and they knew what he had done. They knew that what he said came true. I don't think there was a doubt in their minds that they were going to find an upper room to get ready for the Passover. 
because God's promises come true, right? Like they're, unlike a lot of us in our world, like his promises are certain. We can take them to the bank. And, and there's certain times in life where those promises mean more to us, right? A, a few of you know, um, but the, the last year, uh, my wife and I and our kids have had the privilege and the struggle of walking with my dad through the final year of his life. Um, in April of 2018, he was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 esophageal cancer. He moved in with us, which is really cool because you get to know your dad better. The kids get to know Grandpa better, but then when Grandpa passes away, it's a lot harder um, also. Um, but we, we walked with him through that, and initially his treatments went well. The cancer went into remission for about six months. Um, but then as cancer does, it returned, right? And it spread to his spine and his lungs. Um, and I have to be honest that, like, over those months, as I begin to watch his body wither and deteriorate um, from the cancer just literally kind of eating him internally, um, I, I started to question God's timing, right? This perfect timing, that pro tip. I started to say, hey, God, your timing stinks, right? Like, I don't like this timing. Like, my dad's only 72. Like, this timing's bad, right? And I started to question God's, like, plan. Like, hey, God, like, this plan of yours is kind of like a D minus, really. Like, this plan stinks. Um, why don't you just heal him? And then we can be like, yay, Jesus, you healed my dad. Yeah, you know, put it on Facebook and, you know, all the prayer warriors can't. That would have been my plan, but it, it wasn't God's plan. Um, and about a month ago, right here, we, we celebrated the life of my dad. And literally, this is where we um, held his funeral. Uh, that's where I, myself and my children sat. Pastor Ch- Chad stood here, um, and, and we buried him next to my mom. And it, it's been a struggle um, to trust the goodness of God in that. But thankfully, God has perfect timing. And he had me planning this talk, <laughs> which is just funny. Um, and as I kept reading those seven verses about go and prepare... Those three words stuck in my head. And I was like, where else are those in Scripture? And I looked, and they're from Jesus. And it's another promise. It's John fourteen thirteen. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You see, the cross isn't just the surprise ending to a, a good story. The cross is the best ending to the greatest story ever told. That in the cross is our hope, right? That I can look at this promise and, and know that my dad knew Jesus. And, and my dad was a, a broken and, and sinful man just like me who needed a savior and he knew that. Um, and now I can think of these words of Jesus and say, hey, my dad right now is at a dinner party that's even cooler than the Last Supper, right? Like he is sitting at the feast in heaven, you know, with the Passover lamb. Like what a cool promise for me to be able to rest in. And though we can't always know the timing of God or agree with it even, And though we don't always have the courage to be yes men and yes women through the adventures of life, we can take to the bank God's promises, knowing that we'll find them just as he said they would be every time. Let's pray.
Um, Lord, thank you today for your word. Thank you for just a few verses on planning a dinner party that, that even have amazing nuggets to be mined. Thank you for your timing. And, and I confess that all too often it's hard for me to understand. But I also confess that, that often when I look backwards, it, man, does it line up. Thank you that you are the God of the universe. Um, and, and that you are the one with your ways. Pray you would help us to trust you. Pray you would help us to have courage for the adventure. Um, and thank you that you love us and know us each by name. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, hey, a couple of last thoughts here. Um, if you have never joined us, in, in the middle of August, we have an event called Kaboom. Should be a, there's a sweet little graphic for that. Um, Kaboom is amazing. Okay, it's August 17th, 8 to 9.30, and it's out over the pond. Um, we bring in Rozzy fireworks. Uh, we have a huge ice cream Sunday buffet thing, and it is just an open event for families and friends at Horizon. So you can bring neighbors, relatives, anybody you want to. And it's just a celebration of the kickoff of our ministry year. Um, and last year, there were about a thousand people here. I mean, it was just a ton of fun. Great fireworks show. If you would like tickets to that, they're complimentary. They're in the back of the atrium near the big fireplace. Um, we just know, do tickets so we know how much ice cream to buy because we don't like a revolt when we run out of ice cream. Um, and, and as always, if you have questions or would like to talk so, to somebody about Horizon or really anything, um, stop by the hearth room, which is the third door on the left. So I hope you have a great day. Thanks for being here.